Good morning. Welcome to our North Point worship service. We're glad that you're joining us over the internet to worship with us today. Thanks to the worship team for their great job in leading us in worship. We appreciate their talents and their abilities that they give to us every week. I'm going to talk about how to find hope in the middle of the storm. In the middle of the storm is where you need the most hope, isn't it? Maybe you're going through a storm today. Maybe you're going through times of difficulty with all of the information that's out there and available on the coronavirus and all of the different voices that you hear. It's easy to become discouraged. It's easy to get your hopes down and to become kind of glum over this whole thing. But I want you to know that in the middle of the storm is where Jesus is. We're going to hear about that a little bit more in a few minutes. President Lyndon Johnson had a tumultuous relationship with the press. They were probably what we call today fake news to him. He said that if I walked across the Potomac River this morning, the headlines would read, the president can't swim. Well, you probably have figured it out yet. We're going to talk about Jesus walking on the water. In the story, it's found in Matthew chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there with me to Matthew chapter 14 while I give you a little bit of background to the story and what, it, what it's all about. In Matthew chapter 14 is the story of Jesus walking on the water. But just before that, Jesus and his disciples are teaching the people on the hillside. And they, they, Jesus has taught all day long. And the, the disciples, it gets late in the day, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, you've got to turn the people loose. They're going to get hungry. And we've got to let them get into the villages to get the food that they need. And Jesus says something kind of strange to them. He says, you feed them. Now, there are 5,000 people there. There's 12 disciples. If each of them brought a lunch for themselves, they wouldn't have enough to feed the 5,000 people. But Jesus says, you feed them. Andrew comes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, all we've got are these five loaves and these two fishes to feed 5,000 people. How are we going to do that? They hand it to Jesus and he begins breaking it into pieces. And he breaks it and he breaks it and he breaks it and he breaks it, and he breaks it, and he fills up a basket and hands it to the disciples, and there's still some left. So he breaks it, and he breaks it, and it goes on and on until eventually all 5,000 people have been fed by, what, by five little loaves of bread and two fishes. And the disciples are just amazed by all this. They think they've got it made now that they've with Jesus. They've got all these dreams in their mind of opening their own bread stand and having this endless supply of bread that Jesus can supply for them. I don't know if that's always true, but it's good to think about, isn't it? You know, Jesus did that miracle for them, and they, they probably thought that they could go the rest of their lives on that one miracle, that everything would be all right. But the next morning, something happens. Immediately the next day, something happens that shakes their faith once again. They just come off this great uh, miracle of God, and their faith is strong at that moment, but in a few minutes from then, it, it's shaken again. And the story is the one of Jesus walking on the water. It says, immediately after this, Jesus made his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. Afterward, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was alone there. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came to them walking on the water. 
When the disciples saw him, they screamed in terror, thinking he was a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. It's all right, he said. I'm here. Don't be afraid. Three o'clock in the morning. Why was Jesus walking on the water at three o'clock in the morning? Because that's when the disciples needed him. That's why Jesus was walking on the water at three o'clock in the morning. Because that was the very moment that his disciples needed him. Then Peter called out to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you by walking on the water. All right, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on water towards Jesus. This is awesome stuff. Peter walked on water. Now, we all know that a little while later, he got his eyes on the winds and the waves, and his faith failed him. But for a moment there, for a little while, Peter walked on water. Let's give him props for that. I mean, that's really something. Anybody here ever walked on water? Not frozen, not ice, smart Alex. I don't mean that. I mean on real liquid water. Nobody here has. Peter is one of the only people besides Jesus that could say he actually walked on water. But... When he looked around at the high waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Instantly, Jesus reached out his hand and grabbed him. You don't have much faith, Peter, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. The wind stopped. And then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. Jesus is God over the wind and the waves. He was the one that made the wind and the waves stop. Only God can do that. The disciples had an inkling that they were messing with someone that was more than a man. They worshipped him as God. This is another little situation that Jesus shows himself to be God come in the flesh. Just thought I'd throw that in. After they had crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret. The news of their arrival spread quickly throughout the whole surrounding area, and soon people were bringing all of their sick to be healed. The disciples had just experienced the miracle of the loaves and the fishes, and yet at a moment's time, and just a little while later, they discovered that their faith was at a low ebb again. They needed Jesus to come and to bolster their faith, and they needed a miracle again in just a few moments later. You know, that's a truth that we need to learn is that great spiritual victories don't immunize us from great spiritual struggles. Great spiritual victories do not immunize us from great spiritual struggles. I got to make a confession today. Sunday afternoons are hard for me. They're hard because I go over my message in my mind and I play in my head all of the things that I should have said, all the mistakes that I made, all of the goof-ups that I had, all of the things that I've done wrong, and I can really get down on myself just moments after the service probably went very well. Everything went good. People were at the altar. Maybe somebody got saved. Maybe somebody got healed. But I still have to battle those, those thoughts of failure in my life. Because at the moment of my greatest victories, some of my greatest spiritual struggles come also. Elijah in 1 Kings 19 had a great battle with the prophets of Baal. Maybe you remember the story. Elijah called the prophets of Baal together and he said, we're going to have a contest. We're going to find out once and for all whose God is the real God. You build an altar, I'll build an altar. You put a sacrifice on it, I'll put a sacrifice on it. You, you, you pray to your God, I'm going to pray to my God. And whoever's God answers by fire will be the God of the universe. Deal? And they said, deal. 
So they built their altar, they put their sacrifice upon it, and they began to dance around and call on their God to come and answer them by fire. They danced and they danced and they danced and no answer came. So they began to cut themselves and slice themselves open, hoping that would get their God's attention. Still nothing happened. And Elijah is over there kind of trash-talking this whole time. He's saying things like, shout a little louder. Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's in another room. Maybe he's not paying attention. Shout a little louder. Their God did not answer by fire. So Elijah says, okay, your time's up. You've had enough of an opportunity. I'm going to pray to my God now. And he said, but first, I'm going to dig a trough around the, around the altar. And I'm going to fill that trough with water. And he dumped gallons and gallons of water on the altar so that it couldn't be trickery. There could be no fire hidden down there that would take it up. He gets the, the altar good and soaked. The trough is full of water. And he just prays this simple prayer. He says, basically, he says this. He says, God, prove that you are God. God, prove that I am your prophet. God, prove that you are the God of the universe. And the Bible says as soon as he got done praying, God answered by fire. A lightning bolt came down out of heaven. Flames came down out of heaven. Consumed the altar. Licked up all the water. And all that was left was a pile of smoldering ashes. And the people went crazy. They said, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And they buckled on their sabers and they went out and they slew all the, all the prophets of Baal and they won a great victory that day. And you would think that that would be enough to, to last Elijah a lifetime. That God had answered by fire. That he, had, that he had done a great miracle in the sight of everybody that was there. But just after that, Ahab, King Ahab, wicked King Ahab, gets word that, that Elijah had won the battle. And he puts out an edict and he said, Elijah must die. It, it will, if he lives till morning, I'm going to take the life of someone else. And so Elijah hears this and he becomes depressed. And he's fighting a spiritual battle here. After his greatest battle and victory in life, he has to fight another spiritual battle because we're not immune to that kind of thing. It says in 1 Kings 19, 3 through 5, it said, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he didn't just go away, he went far away. He went into the wilderness to hide from Ahab. He was frightened for his life. And he said, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. At the time of his greatest spiritual battle, he faced testings and trials. After his greatest victory, he faced testings and trials against his, against his own flesh and body. In John 16, Jesus says this, I have told you all this so that you have may, pe may have peace in me. So that we have made peace in Jesus Christ. Our peace doesn't come from our circumstances, whether coronavirus is here, whether we're under mandates or all that kind of stuff. It doesn't come from that. It comes from Jesus himself. And he says, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. You see, at the, greatest, at, the, at the middle of the storm, in the middle of your storm right now, God calls us to even greater levels of faith and trust. Let me ask you this question. What took more faith for Peter to feed the 5,000 or to hop out of the boat into the water? 
Well, it's pretty obvious it took, it took more faith to hop out of that boat into the water. His life was at stake there. His life was at risk by hopping out of the boat. With the, with the 5,000 that were fed, he was basically a spectator. He was just watching as Jesus performed this miracle. But he had that, 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 uh, that personal risk and that matter of faith and that trial and that testing that he had at that moment was, took far greater faith for Peter. You know, there's a story in the Bible about the disciples whose mother, uh, little mother comes and, and asks the disciples to cast a demon out of, their, out of their little boy. And the disciples can't do it. So they bring him to Jesus, and Jesus casts out the demon. And the disciples ask Jesus why that happened. How could that happen? And it says in Matthew 17, 20, he says, You didn't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I assure you, even if you had as faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Nothing would be impossible. You see, I don't think Jesus is particularly chiding them for their lack of faith. He's showing them how powerful just a little amount of faith is. That it's all that he needs is just a tiny amount of faith to make something great happen. And he said, you need more faith, guys. You just need more faith. So then what's the purpose for these trials? Why do we have to go through them? Well, 1 Peter 1.7 tells us why. It says, these trials are only to test your faith to show that it is strong and pure. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. And your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. So if your faith remains strong after being tried by fiery trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You see, Jesus is simply testing your faith. He's proving to you that it's gold, that it's powerful, that it's solid. It's in the crucible that gold is refined. It's under the fire and the flames that the dross is, is made to come to the top and scraped away so that the gold is pure and, and, and clean and more valuable. You see, it's in the storm that Jesus comes to us and invites us to come to Him. I want you to note something, what Jesus was doing while the disciples were rowing in the storm. He was up there praying for them. He was up there praying and asking God to intercede for them. He isn't sleeping, watching TV. He's in prayer. He's in intercession. The disciples didn't know it. They had no idea. Perhaps they were abandoned by God. They didn't know what was going on. But while the disciples were in the middle of the storm, Jesus was walking across the water to get to them. Why did Jesus walk across the water? To get to the disciples. That's why he walked across the water. The Bible teaches us Jesus is always interceding for us. In Hebrews 7.25, it says, Therefore he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. Listen to this. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. I want you to notice that God always responds to the steps that we take towards Him. In James 4.8, it says, Draw close to God, and God will draw close to you. There's kind of a symbiotic relationship. You have God on one side and you on the other. And when you cry out to God, God starts taking steps towards you. And as you cry out to Him, God comes to you and He meets you. He comes to meet you in the middle of your need, just like He did the disciples in the middle of their need. He was walking across the water to meet the disciples' needs. In Isaiah 43, 2, it says this, When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. 
When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. You see, Jesus comes to us in our time of need. He comes to us in the moment that we need Him. If you have a need this morning, Jesus is coming to you in your time of need. He is there for you. He will walk across water to get to you. He'll perform a miracle to get to you. If you need Him, He's there for you right now. Just like Peter was sinking in the water, he reached out and he said, Help me, Lord. The Bible says instantly. It says right at that moment, Jesus reached out His hand and He took Peter by the hand and lifted him up out of the water. That's the God that we serve today. Maybe you haven't given much thought to Jesus Christ in your life. Maybe you've only put out 911 calls to Him in your prayer life. Your prayer life is more made up of 911 calls than any kind of vital relationship. I want you to know, no matter where you find yourself, if you're in the middle of the storm, you can cry out to Jesus and He will come to you. Back in 2005, Hurricane Katrina hit, and it left entire towns, cities, and even villages and states devastated by its calamity. In a newspaper article in the Chicago Tribune, a reporter wrote about churches responding to the hurricane. Pastor Michael Mill pastored a church that normally ran about 3,000 people. The Sunday after, the first Sunday that they met after the hurricane, he, was, he only had about 300 people show up. And he said this, You know, we sing about Jesus being all that we need. He is all I need. He is all I need. Jesus is all I need. Well, right now, folks, Jesus is all we've got. And let me tell you something. When Jesus is all that you've got, you've got enough. You have enough if Jesus is with you today. Look for Jesus in the storm. Like Peter, cry out to Him. He will grab your hand and pull you out of that storm. He will deliver you. I want to close by reading Romans chapter 8 to you right now. Listen to these words of comfort to us, will you? It says, and I am convinced, Paul's writing here, he says, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from His love. Nothing can ever separate us from His love. Death can't and life can't. The angels can't and demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, or even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. Whether we are high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from God's love today. Nothing in this world. Heaven can't, hell can't, life can't, death can't, angels can't, demons can't. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Just reach out to Him and cry out to Him. If you're going through a storm today, maybe you're sick in body and you need a healing touch from God, I want to encourage you to believe God for your healing touch today. Maybe your marriage is in trouble and you don't know if your marriage is going to survive. I want you to come together as a couple and cry out to God for the healing of your marriage. Maybe you have a child that's far from God and you're concerned for his soul. I want you to pray and ask God to send someone his way that will tell him about the love of God that he'll hear and he'll listen to. I don't know what your storm is, but whatever your storm is, God is able to deliver you today. Let's pray about that, shall we? Would you pray with me right now? 
Father in heaven, I thank you that you are the God that's over the storm. And Lord, I pray today that you would get into our boats so that the storm and the winds and the waves will cease. God, we believe that you hear our cries, that you hear our prayers, and we reach out to you like Peter reached out to you right now, and we say, God, save us. And we believe that instantly you're going to reach down and touch us in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you today. You have a great day in the Lord. We'll see you next week right here on this same internet channel. God bless. Hi, I'm Mike Sabatino. I serve as the associate pastor here at North Point. We're so glad that you joined us today. We pray that you are encouraged in your faith through the worship and the message. Well, I want to just take a minute and talk to you about giving. We have multiple ways to give and continue to support the ministry at North Point. The first one is just sending a check to the church at 4200 152nd Avenue, Holland, Michigan, 49424. You can also go to the website at www.hollandnorthpoint.org and just click the Donate tab in the upper right-hand corner. That'll take you to the giving portal where you can just set up a one-time gift or you can set it up to be recurring so it happens automatically. You, of course, have control over that and you can change it at any time. Well, we want to thank you for being faithful in giving. There are so many opportunities to share the gospel as our missionaries are serving overseas, helping people deal with this pandemic. We have missionaries who are right here in the States and our ministry is going forth and we're meeting people where they where their greatest need is. And so continue to be faithful giving. We thank you for that. I want you just to have a great day. Take to heart that word. If you're in the middle of a storm today, reach out for Jesus. He's right there for you. Thanks a lot. Have a